tell you what, I am out of breath this morning. It's all right, though. It is, I'm on fire. I'm excited about this morning. You can look up here and you can see that just like Ray said, he's not Corey. I think sure ain't Corey either. But I'm, I'm blessed and I'm proud to be here. Uh, for those of you that might have walked in, Corey, he's off flying planes someplace. He tried to get some dates different, but it didn't work out. So uh, he's, he's taking care of his other gifts that God has given him. And uh, so... So I, I got the call, and I'm excited to bring it to you this morning. Hey, if this is your first time at Beecher Island, I see a few new faces in here, and it's, it's awesome to have you. And even if you're not new here at Beecher Island, I just I love hearing Corey say it, and I'm going to say it too. Beecher Island is a independent, non-denominational, Jesus-loving Bible preaching church. And we're glad to have you here this morning, and we do. We get everything out of this word right here. That he gives us his word. We don't get anything out of some other uh, some other guy's brain that they, they wrote down their own theology. We're getting it right out of this Bible. And we do it every Sunday morning. And so you can hang your hat on that. that that's the way it's going to be. In. And if it gets to be some other way than that, please say something. Because we don't want we don't want that to be in this church at all. So uh, it's awesome to have you. Thank you so much for showing up here this morning. And uh, we come together as a group of people, a body of people to come and learn about the Lord, worship Him, to, to praise Him, and to, and to learn from His Word. And so, uh, with that said, I'm going to pray so I can get myself settled down just a little bit. <laughs> and then we get fired up. Heavenly Father, uh, we just thank You for today. We thank You so much for, for this time that we get to spend together on this Sunday morning. God, uh, You are big, and You are present, and You are with us, and we know that. And God, uh, this morning, the, the message that you put on my heart, Lord, I just pray that it comes through, nothing in my own words. And only the things that matter that came out of your word, uh, it's taken away this morning. But Lord, this morning, I just pray that our hearts are open to it and that we walk away from here different than the way, than the way that we came in. Lord, uh, thank you. Bless this time that we have this morning. Open our hearts and our ears to hear your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Alright, I'm going to try something right quick because I think it's going to be kind of fun. You guys are going to what are you doing? <laughs> we want Corey back. Alright, I'm going to sing the first word to a song. And I'm confident that you all know it. And I'm going to let you take it from there. Okay? I'm going to sing the first word of the song. You're all going to know it. Okay? And hopefully I'm on key. If I need to sing the second one, I will. But here you go. You ready? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound chapter 27 this morning for a little while. We're going to switch around just a little bit too, so be aware of that. But Matthew chapter 27, if you got your Bible with you this morning. And we're going to start kind of smack dab in the middle of the chapter. We're going to start 
at verse 33. And I'm just going to read for a while if you want to follow along. It says, And when they come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, place of a skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink. Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. So sitting down, they kept watch over him there. And they put up over his head the accusation written against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and another on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from that cross. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the King of Israel, let him come now. And from the cross we will believe in him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him, rebelled with him with the same thing. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness all over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, This is the man, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, Let him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with his loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. We're going to stop there for just a moment. There is, as Corey a lot, says a lot here, there is so much detail wrapped up in this scripture. We have a scripture right here of Jesus. It's his last day in the flesh, alive on this earth. And they have hung him on this cross. He's hung up there. He's been beaten. He's been scorched. He's had all this stuff happen to him. They hang him on this cross. And this is the picture. This is the scene where he is hanging on this cross. There are all these people making fun of him, blaspheming him, and doing all these things. And, and we're going to dive a little bit into that. But this morning, I specifically want to go to one verse. And I'm going to tell you this right now. Many of you know this. I've never, I've never been to Bible school. I've never been to a theology school. I've never been taught how to preach the Word of God or anything like that. And so a lot of times when I get the call to come and fill in for Corey, I have a message hit my heart. And then as I start diving into it, sometimes I end up with more questions than I have answers. And it was no different with this scripture that, that I want to point out this morning. There's a lot in my heart that I'm just, I don't know. Specifically, the verse that I'm talking about is verse 46 in all of this. In verse 46, it says, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In my heart, in my mind, I'm going, Now hold on a second, Jesus. Hold on a second, Jesus. He's talking to God saying, Why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? And I know, I know some things about God. I know some things about God. There are scripture in Deuteronomy 31.6 says, He will not fail you nor forsake you. 
And in Hebrews 13, 5 says, I will never desert you, nor will I forsake you. There is scripture that says that God will never forsake you. So here we have Jesus hanging on the cross going, God, why do you forsake me? I want to be clear about something right here. This, this verse, I am, I'm torn on. I still don't have the answer today. And there are differing opinions, different viewpoints on why he said this, if he said this, who he said it to, all of that stuff. And I kind of want to point out both sides of it. And I'm still praying to God, 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 show me, show me the truth. Show me what you want me to hear. Because I know that there are people out there, such as Charles Spurgeon, there's people like uh, uh, Martin Luther, a guy named Poole. They, have, they, all have, they all have some commentary based on the fact that Jesus hung on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And they go into why why he said that and the fact that God did forsake him, that he had to, that he had to forsake Jesus. All this sin is being poured upon Jesus at this time, in, in this moment in time. And we know there, there's scripture out there like, like in, in, I think you say it, Habakkuk. 113 says, your eyes are too pure for evil. God could not look upon evil. And we know that there's other scripture out there that, that points out the fact of how much God hates evil. And he's hanging on this cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and there are people that there's a belief in it, and I'm fine with it. I'm not saying it's wrong in any, in any stretch. I want to point that out. That God is, has forsaken him and he has turned his, turned his eyes from Jesus at that time. That he had to so that his love could be poured out for us. He had to so that we could be saved because we are all sinners, right? So that we could be saved. God had to turn his eyes away from Jesus so that that could be taken care of on the cross. I'm totally fine with that. I want to say this too. That Jesus Christ said it. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which must mean that God did forsake him. And I don't want to take that out of context. I don't want to stand up here and preach that he didn't mean what he said. Because if he said it, then it's true, right? I believe every word of the Bible. If that's what he said, then it's true. But in my flesh and in my heart, I, I'm, I'm telling you this right now, I have a hard time. I'm, I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around the fact that God would turn his eyes from his own son hanging there on the cross. That, that God would look away from, from so much love in that split moment, in that second time. And I think some people even say that uh, that... God was absent from Jesus at that time. I want, I want to remind you this. Everybody knows this. That Jesus was 100% man and he was 100% God. And so if we take God away from the equation of what happened on the cross, then I think that we are flirting in a it's a dangerous spot to be to think that we take the deity away from Jesus. I do not believe that, we, that Jesus' deity was taken away. God was always there. He was always part of Jesus. And so I ask God, God, what are you trying to tell me? What are you trying to tell me in this? You know, I think about, about Jesus himself. He was God. And we know that in, in John chapter 1 and 1 John chapter 1, it talks about how Jesus was there in the beginning. And I mean way in the beginning. I mean way before the earth was created, Jesus was there. He was the Word. He was with God, right? And then the Word became flesh later on. He came down and He was Jesus that, that we know and read about today. So if Jesus was with God in the beginning, then this was not a surprise that he was going to get hung on a cross. In a way, it almost makes it sound like Jesus got hung on a cross and he didn't know what was coming. But Jesus knew the scriptures. He wrote the scriptures. He knows what's going on. He knows what happened back there in, in the Old Testament, the, the, the prophecies that were written. He knew what he came for. In fact, in Luke uh, uh, chapter 9, verse 22, I'm not going to quote it exactly, but he basically told his disciples, he said, I will be handed over to the scribes and the chief, chief priests and the elders. 
And, and that's the end of it. He said, on the third day, I'm going to be raised again. But He knew what was coming. Jesus knew what was coming. And there was a time when He was praying, remember? When He was praying, He was like, God, take this cup from me if it's Your will. Not my will, but if it's Your will. I mean, He knew. He knew that this was going to hurt. He knew it was going to happen. And so, in, in, my, in my mind, I'm thinking, how, how, how could have... How could this have been a surprise to Jesus? I don't think it was. I think He knew it was coming. He knew it had to happen. And I also feel like, and, and somebody can definitely correct me if, we, if when we're done with this this morning, and if you have a verse that you can point out, um, but I feel like Paul would have written somewhere in Romans, or we would have, we would have read it in Hebrews, or, or maybe 1 Peter or something, how, uh, how blatantly spelled out, it would say that God turned his, way, his eyes away from Jesus. I don't know if there is one. I mean, I did a lot of research, and I can't find one that specifically says that this is, this is what happened, and this is why. If you have one of those, please tell me, because I want to know about it. Um, but it just, it, there's this, this fight going on in my heart and in my soul. And I'm, I'm just really having a hard time figuring out exactly what God wants me to know from this. It's amazing. It's the Word of God. So it must be true. But I want to put all that on the back burner for just a moment. I want to put all those ideas, those thoughts about God forsaking Jesus on the back burner for just a moment. I want to go back and I want to look at this from a different perspective, a different viewpoint, a different angle, if you will. I want to look at the description and the detail in this scripture. The points back to who was at the cross. Who was sitting there in the audience, if you want to call it that, watching Jesus take his last breaths on the cross. And so if we go back to verse 38, we know that there were two robbers who were crucified with him. One on the right and one on the left. And this is also to fulfill prophecy, right? Because, because it says that he was numbered with his transgressors. So we know that the robbers were there. Um, in verse 39 it says there were those who passed by blaspheming him, wagging their heads making fun of him, telling him he's going to destroy the temple and bring it up in three days yeah right, you're about to die man so we knew that there were other people I don't know who they were, whether they just lived in the city there in the town or whatever, but they were there we know also that there were soldiers there, there were Roman soldiers they were the ones that hung him on the cross they were the ones that did most of the beating and all that. And the Pharisees told them to go do it. And they did it. And I think they enjoyed it. Which is sick. But that's, that's a different thing. <laughs> we know that there were soldiers there. But the one that I want to really draw our attention to this morning is verse 41. It says, Likewise, the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and the elders. We know that there was chief priests, scribes, and elders. So if we, if we take those, we can lump them into one category. And I think we could call them Pharisees. Could we not? They were Pharisees. They're all part of the Pharisees. So the Pharisees, and we know that the whole New Testament, the whole the, the four accounts of the Gospels, Jesus was in a, a boxing match with the Pharisees the whole time. The Pharisees were those who were arrogant, they were self-righteous, they thought they were holier than everyone else. They thought they were they were all that bag of tater chips. And, and they were they were for God. I mean, they dressed like that, they had their hat on, they had their robes on, and all this stuff. They walked around, and man. They were cool. They were, they were for God. And they wanted everybody to know that. And Jesus came down and what did He call them? He called them brutal vipers. They were, they, were, uh, they were hypocrites. And man, did that not sit well with the Pharisees. And so 
He also told them that he was the Messiah, that he was the Son of God, that he was, he was God himself. And they're like, uh-uh. That's why they hung him on the cross, right? But these Pharisees were there. These Pharisees were there sitting there watching this whole crucifixion take place. And they were loving it. I want to point out a couple of things. I, I, uh, I did a little research on the Pharisees just because I wanted to know a little bit more about them. Number one thing, uh, when, when they were, when there was a, a, a son of a Pharisee was born, I read this, I can't, I, I should have kept it so I could tell you where I saw it. Uh, but when a son of a Pharisee was born, they would take the scroll of the Torah, their, their, well, it would have been everything before the New Testament that they had studied, all that. They would take that roll, that scroll, and they'd pour honey over it, and then the two-year-old was, was made to lick the honey off of the scroll so that they would know that the Word of God tasted sweet. Kind of weird, but neat idea. Whatever. Okay. So, by the time that they were four years old, by the time they were four years old, they had begun, and, and mostly by the time they were done with being four-year-olds, they had memorized the book of Leviticus. The book of Le The whole book, four years old, they memorized the book of Leviticus. They're way early on in the, in the Old Testament. Now, we know that the Pharisees came from the tribe of Levites, and the Levites were uh, given this, this ability. Uh, they were called by God to be the chief priests, the scribes, the elders. They were the ones who were run the church. So it, it just kind of cracks me up that they made them memorize the book of Leviticus first. But they did. So by the time they got done with that, when they were 12 years old, they had everything from Gen Genesis to Deuteronomy memorized. 12 years old! Genesis to Deuteronomy memorized. Then when they got to be teenagers, they went on to memorize and study the prophets and the Psalms. So these people, the Pharisees themselves, they were deep into the Word of God. We can all say that. And they, they put it upon themselves. Their life, their whole life mission was to make sure that they knew the Word of God. They had it memorized. They had it committed to memory. And they studied it. And, and that was awesome. But they wanted everybody else to know how good they were about it too. And, and we know that we are not supposed to pray like the Pharisees because they'd go and they'd make these big, eloquent, elegant, whatever, big old prayers out there so everybody could see that they were talking to God. And when they fasted, they were, they were, they all had a scrambled up face, they were bent over, and Jesus said, Don't, don't do it like they did that. When, when the Pharisees would go and give money to the poor, whatever, they'd sound trumpets on the on the street corners, and they wanted everybody to know that they were doing the things for God. They wanted everybody to know that they were doing doing God's work, and, and man, just see how good we are, see what we're doing. They have laws. The Ten Commandments were given to Moses. The Levites kept those, and they had another 613, I think, total laws that was in the old Mosaic law. And it was, it was law given by God. I'm not going to deny that. But then the Pharisees also, they added a bunch more to them. And one of them that they said was, like, you cannot work on the Sabbath, right? I mean, that's a law. But they said, if your house was burning down on the Sabbath, you could not carry your own clothes out of your house that was burning down. How crazy is that? But they also added another little catch in there. If you go and put all those clothes on, then you can walk outside. This is how crazy the Pharisees were. You can't pack your clothes out like this, but you can put them all on your back and you can walk out like that. That's how crazy the Pharisees were. And so that's, that's what I'm saying. They, they knew the Scripture. They knew, they knew, they knew the Scripture. And they had it in their memory. So let's go back for a second. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is what I wonder, and this is what blew my mind. Was Jesus 
saying that on the cross to lead them to Scripture that they already knew. To lead them to Scripture that they already knew. And you know what? Just like this morning, I said one word. Amazing. And you guys all sang Amazing Grace because you knew it. I wonder if that's what Jesus was doing right there because of the Pharisees. Flip your Bibles open to Psalm 22. Flip your Bibles open to Psalm 22. This blew my mind when I saw this. As I read this for a moment, I am not in any way calling you Pharisees. Don't, don't take it that way. But for, for the sake of it, put yourselves in the shoes of the Pharisees out there. That you're a little bit better than everybody else. You want everybody to see how godly you are. And, and you're sitting there at the cross watching this man die that you think blasting God. Okay, so put yourself in those shoes. And we're going to be reading. If you have your Bible flipped open, let's all say it together. Verse 1 of Psalm 22, what does it say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I believe that the Pharisees knew this. I believe the Pharisees knew this psalm, this scripture by heart, and it was just a starter. So that they could listen to the rest of this song in their own heart as they sat up there watching Jesus die on the cross. And there's a prophecy that came in this scripture. I'm going to keep reading. I'm going to read the whole song. So just follow along if you want to. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words, and from the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, I am not silent. I'm going to stop right there for just a second. These are the only two verses in this whole song that has this feel to it. That God is far away, that He has turned His back, that He has forsaken Jesus. And He goes on in verse 3, right at the beginning, He says, But you are holy. He forgot about all of his old other stuff that was going on in his life right here. And He started praising God. He says, But you are holy. Enthroned in the praises of Israel, our fathers trust in you. They trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am, I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip and they shake their heads, saying, He trusts in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Or did we just read that? Matthew 27. The Pharisees were already using the words in the prophecy, in the scripture before. They were, they're using those words to make fun of him. But, but he goes on to say, But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Can you imagine being a Pharisee? And this word's going through your head, looking at this man on the cross saying these words. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gave to me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. Do you remember when the centurion stabbed him with the spear and water and blood came out? All my bones are out of joint. Can you imagine being a Pharisee looking up there at the cross and seeing this man hanging up there, they stretched him out. There had to be some bones pop out of joint as he's hanging on this cross. My bones are out of joint. 
My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue clings to my jaws. He was thirsty. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me, the congregation of the wicked, they enclosed me. Man, can you imagine being a Pharisee right there hearing them words? I'm the wicked surrounding him. Listen, they pierced my hands and my feet. I can count on my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. We've heard that before. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. I want to stop right there for a second too. I have not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. This one kind of caught me off guard for just a moment. Jesus is hanging up there on the cross and he's been afflicted. He is the afflicted one and he has been he's in pain. He's been beat. He had this crown of thorns jammed down on his head. Uh, he's been whipped. There's blood coming out of him. And God says, I have not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. God knew it had to happen. It had to happen. But then he says right after this, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he heard him, but when he, but when he cried to him, he heard it. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous in the earth shall eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust shall bow down before him. Even he who cannot keep himself alive and posterity shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has done this. And I believe, you can take your, take, your, take your shoes of the Pharisees off today, you can be done with that. I believe, no matter, no matter what your belief is about God forsaking Jesus, put that aside. I believe that this was the final lesson to the Pharisees that day. Jesus didn't come back. We don't have an account in the Bible in the Bible that Jesus came back and never showed himself to the Pharisees again. He was resurrected. He showed himself to the disciples, lots of other people, but he didn't directly come back to the Pharisees. I believe that this was the last lesson that he was to teach the Pharisees. And he just said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To correct their hearts. One last habit, correcting their hearts before he was gone. In, in, uh, in John 19.28, it says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the Scripture, He said, I am thirsty. I think He looked around and He saw that all Scripture was finally fulfilled up to that point that He needed to do. Take care of everything that was happening, all the sin that was supposed to be on Him, Him hanging on a cross on a tree. All that, His hands and His feet were pierced. All of that stuff was taken care of. And He had to make sure that it was done. 
and he knew that it was all done. He said, I'm thirsty. In John, we'll read that, that they gave him something to drink and he gave up his spirit to him. He did not die a moment too soon. He didn't wait too much longer to die. He died when he needed to. It's because he gave his spirit up. It wasn't because they killed him. It was because he gave his spirit up. But he made sure that everything was taken care of first. He wanted the Pharisees to know, to know, to know that he was the Messiah. And this was his last lesson to tell them, look what you have done to me. Look what you have done to me. With all that said, we know that this scripture is about Jesus. David wrote Psalm 22. Uh, the research that I did, I couldn't find anywhere where David was going through something bad that he wrote this on account of what he had done. David never had his hands or his feet pierced. But it was just a divine word from God that David wrote down. It was about Jesus. It was about the prophecy. What was going to happen on that cross later on? It was all about Jesus. That's what Psalm 22 is all about. And to point the Pharisees back to that. Let's stop right there for a minute because you know what? All this was about Jesus. But this morning when we look at this scripture, I ask you this question. This message was laid on my heart. I was led to Psalm 22. God brought me here, put these words into my mouth. I spit them out. Why has God led you to Psalm 22 this morning? How can we make this personal? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who's been there? Who's been there? I've been there. I'm guilty as charged. Many of you know the, the story of, of my family and everything that we had to go through with my daughter seven years ago, almost eight years ago now. And, and the amount of time that my wife spent in the hospital with my daughter and, and the not knowing and the wondering and the, and the not knowing if she's even going to stay alive, not knowing if she's going to be born alive, not, not knowing. There's so much not to know. I was so scared to pray. I was so scared to pray. I did not. I didn't want the will of God because I, I was scared of it. I was scared I wasn't going to like it. And I felt that time in my flesh as a man. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you right now? Am I so bad that this stuff would happen to me? God, where are you? Have you been there? Is there something going on in your life right now? There's a battle that you're fighting. We, we all fight battles. No, no, no matter how big or small, you're fighting a battle somewhere. I fight them every day. I fight them every day. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But I want you to know this. That just like it says in there, He does not abhor nor despise the affliction of the afflicted. There are things that are going to have to happen on this earth that we do not understand. And I don't like it either. But I feel like if God is sharpening us to be the man and the, the women that we are supposed to be, to live for Him, to be the person that He wants us to be, then we're going to have to go through some of that. A knife doesn't get sharp without putting it in the fire, heating that thing up just a little bit. And sometimes put over here on an anvil and you get beat on it, you get hammered on it. And sometimes that ain't good enough, so you get put back in the fire and you get back on the anvil and get beat on and hammered on some more until you get sharp. Is that happening to you today? Don't. Don't think for one moment that God has forsaken you because there's scripture that says that he will not. And there's scripture that says right after that in Psalm 22 that he will not turn his eyes away from you. He hears your cry. I want you to know that. I want you to know that. I'm going to invite the music team back up here. As they're making their way up here, there's a lot this morning, like I said, there's stuff that I don't understand. Every time I study the Bible, sometimes I come out with more questions than I have answers. 
And that's okay. And I'm going to keep praying about it. And I'm going to keep seeking the Lord. And what exactly did He mean by that? And I, I find little, little pearls here and there. Little things that little things that help me. And that's what God does. He doesn't want me to put this Bible down. He wants me to keep picking it up, keep coming to Him, keep reading, keep looking for the Scripture, keep looking for that stuff, and let it come to Him. Isaiah 55, 8-9. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Man, there are some things that God does that we just aren't meant to understand, and I believe that. His ways are higher than our ways, or His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. If He wants to reveal them to us at some point, He sure will. Maybe the day that we enter heaven. But I'm okay with that. I'm okay with reading Scripture and, and, and not figuring it out, not totally unlocking it. I'm okay with that. And when it comes to me being afflicted, I'm okay with that too. I don't understand it. I know that God has the power. Just like Jesus could have called 10,000 legions of angels. He could have, he could have blown himself off that cross and said, no, not today, but he didn't. And there's things that happens to me that, oh God, I don't understand. That his ways are higher than my ways. He is holy. He is God. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He has my best interest in mind. I know He does. And he's just, he's just tweaking me to make me as sharp as He possibly can for Him. I want you to know there's more Scripture written in here that, that uh, concludes the fact that our sin is what draws us away from God. God doesn't turn His eyes on us. It's when we sin, we turn, we turn away from Him. So this morning, run to Him. Run to Him. I heard it said too that Many of us, and I'm guilty of this too, many of us, we have sin in our life. We want to clean all that up. We want to get it taken care of before we go and talk to Jesus. Before we go and talk to Him. Because we don't want to, we don't want to burden Jesus with all the stuff that i got going on in my life. It should be the other way around. Go talk to Jesus. Because we're not, we're, not, we're not able to clean our own self up. But Jesus can. And through Him, we can be clean. It's His blood that cleanses us. By His stripes, we are healed. It's because of Him. So this morning, I ask you do, you, do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Have you, have you confessed Jesus? He's there. He wants you. He wants you to come to Him. And he wants you to run, run to Him no matter how bad it gets. No matter what this life is, whether something's happening to you or sin, whatever it is, He wants you. He loves you that much. He loves you that much. Jesus was the Son of God who died for us on that cross. He died for all of our sins. All that got packed on Him back then. And I look back at the Scripture and go, it should have been me. It should have been me hanging on that cross with Him nails in, in, in my feet and my hands because it was me. I was the one that screwed up. But God says, no. No. Let me send my Son. He's the sacrifice. He loved you so much that He sent His Son to do that in your place. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. And you know what? We're, we're in the flesh. But God loves us and He wants us. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ, today is the day to do that. He wants you, whatever state you're in, He don't care. He just wants you to come to Him and let Him work on you. And it's going to be good, I promise. The day that we confess Jesus Christ is the day that we start spending eternity with God. Amen. That day. Today is the day.
if you have accepted, if you have confessed Jesus Christ and you haven't been baptized, let's go find some water somewhere. We'll get it done. Man, what an awesome feeling that is. This morning, uh, if anyone needs prayers, I, I pray you come up here and, and I'll pray with you. You can go to the back. If you don't want to come up front, that's totally cool too. But I'd love to pray with you right here. Let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word. God, there's things in this life that we don't understand, but we know, Lord, how big you are. And your ways are higher than our ways, just like the heaven is from the earth, Lord. And God, help us to accept that. Help us to know that it doesn't matter what, what we think. But God, that you have the answers. And God, you reveal what you need to reveal to us. And God, this morning I pray that what came out of my mouth was, was truth. And God, I pray that uh, this knowledge of the fact that, that, that the Old and the New Testament, they collide, they come together, and it's all in the commonplace of you, Jesus. And God, it's all because of your love that we get to stand here today. God, if, if there are those that are hurting today, if there are those that are struggling with sin, God, I just pray that you intervene in their life and show yourself in big ways to them. God, that they can feel comfort and love and peace and joy in you because that's who you are. God, this morning we thank you so much for sending your son Jesus Christ to die for us. And God, that you resurrected him on the third day so that he was back to life so that we could have life ourselves. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.